Thank you, brother. I feel like we need an invitation song right now. But <laughs> um, Thank you for that very excellent presentation. You really drew out the meaning, I think, of, of those verses. And uh, love the emphasis that you placed on that. An emphasis sometimes that we, we don't often think about or don't often look, uh, look at. Open it up for questions at this time. Um, please raise your hand and Brother Josiah will bring you the microphone uh, on this. Well, perhaps not, but <laughs> maybe he's, are you, are you bowing out? I'm out. Okay. <laughs> questions, comments? Well, while there's some ponderance, I'll, uh, I'll ask a question, I suppose, about um, the, the first century Jews. So you mentioned how um, certainly there were some that, that probably were looking for a more militaristic leader. Um, but as you pointed out here with Mary and, and of course, Zechariah, and I think we see it too with, uh, with Anna and Simeon, that wasn't the, that wasn't the general feeling on, with some, and maybe I shouldn't even say general. We love generalizations. We love to just say they were just all of them looking for this or looking for that. It's um, easier to sermonize that way. So much. Nice pithy one-liners. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, we love the one-liners. We love. What is the value in noticing the nuance of uh, of what those beliefs were? So. And I do want to emphasize this point. There were a lot of opinions about what Messiah would do. In fact, the Qumran community, the people who are responsible for the Dead Sea Scrolls, they actually thought there'd be, there'd be two Messiahs. They were sort of a separatist, isolationist group, and they were convinced that the uh, temple uh, authorities, the priesthood had become totally corrupt, which was true. Of course, we see that in Jesus himself. And their response to that was to remove themselves from the temple, to remove themselves from, from Jerusalem, and to go out and to live in the desert all by themselves. And so they thought there would be two messiahs. There would be one messiah who would come to redeem the priesthood, and this would be a new high priest. That's not too far off because the priests are called messiah in the book of Leviticus. So they thought there'd be one messiah who would redeem the priesthood and another messiah who would be the kingly figure. Now, of course, we know from, for example, the book of Hebrews that God's plan was what appears to have been from the very beginning to have a priest king, one figure who fulfilled both of those roles, but they had not expected that. So, um, you know, when, when we think about the interaction that Jesus has with Peter, I think this is, a, this is a telling interaction. Peter makes that good confession, and boy, that was a good confession because before Peter said that, Man, these guys had no clue who Jesus was, other than that he was an impressive miracle worker. And there were a lot of things about what Jesus was saying and doing that went way, way over their heads. So when we get to the middle part of Mark or the middle part of Matthew, and we see Peter making this confession, you are the anointed king of the line of David. You are God's son who's come to be our new ruler. That was monumental. That was wonderful. Great job, Peter. Excellent. And then when Jesus says, and guess what? Your king's going to die when he gets to Jerusalem. In Peter's mind, that was just not possible. And I think the reason it wasn't possible is because there are parts of the Old Testament messianic portrait that 
we have connected for us by New Testament authors, but the Jews before Jesus had not to connected. Let me give, try to illustrate if I can, since I haven't seen any other hands, I can just preach for a while, okay? <laughs> uh, the Jews, it appears, had never connected Isaiah's suffering servant with Messiah. No one had ever made that connection, it appears. That was not what Messiah was supposed to do. Messiah was, Messiah was supposed to be this king who reigns on an eternal throne. How can he suffer and die? That didn't make sense to them. So Isaiah 53 is sort of this stream of Old Testament thought nobody had connected to this other stream of Old Testament thought, which is the heir of David is coming and a new kingdom is coming with him. Okay? There's even a third stream of Old Testament thought, and that's Daniel who talks about, in Daniel 7, this figure he calls the Son of Man, which just means a human, a guy, a dude, okay? We talked about, you know, making the Bible really understandable for people. If I was still in Australia, I'd call him a bloke, okay? A guy. And Daniel sees this guy, and he says, this guy, this Son of Man, gets to do something humans aren't supposed to do. He gets to go all the way up to where the Ancient of Days is. And when the Ancient of Days is pictured, there's a throne there. That makes sense. God's supposed to be sitting on a throne. But guess what? Surprise, there's another throne. And this guy gets to go up there and sit on that throne. And it's not like a baby throne, you know. These are, these are, these are thrones next to each other. And this dude gets to go up there and sit on that throne. And it gets worse. Not only is he sitting on equal footing with God, the Ancient of Days, all the nations and all languages, they're going to come and they're going to worship the dude. What God's right there? What are you worshiping this guy for? And uh, so they're going to worship this guy and this guy gets a kingdom. Not God? How is this? So it doesn't appear that any of the ancient Jews thought this was Messiah because that's just not what mortals get to do. So that's a third stream, and this stream comes into focus when Jesus is on trial before the Sanhedrin. If you ever hear someone say, Jesus never claimed to be God, this is the place to start, okay? So the Jews have arrested Jesus, and the Sanhedrin has assembled, and they're trying to get false accusers to bring testimony, and none of their testimony agrees, and they're trying to get these people just to lie about Jesus. So finally, the high priest, in what seems to be a moment of frustration, says, just tell us, are you the Son of God? I think he means, are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of the Blessed One? I think he means, are you the Messiah? Because that was a common title for Messiah. Are you Psalm 2? Finally come to fruition. Are you the Messiah? Jesus says, I am, in Mark. He says, I am. And guess what? You are going to see the Son of Man lifted up to the right hand of the power on high. So Jesus does something that appears no Israelite had done before. He takes the Daniel 7 passage and he puts it into that same messianic stream, stream. And so now we've got suffering servant of Isaiah, king of David from Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7, 
And Daniel 7, son of man, who gets to sit next to God and rule the whole world, all coming together into Jesus. Okay? So these streams from the Old Testament were so important in developing concepts about Messiah, even though the Jews didn't understand how they worked together yet until Jesus came. And that's how it was supposed to be. Paul says this in Ephesians 3. It was supposed to be a mystery. They were not supposed to have had it all figured out. It was not the expectation of God that they would have it all figured out. There was something mysterious about it. And it wasn't until Jesus rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit was given on Pentecost and then when Jerusalem was destroyed that it all really came together for those people. Where they saw all the streams coming together, the kingdom themes that Mike taught us about last night, the son of man who sits next to God, the suffering servant, the king of the line of David, all now have come together into this powerful and, and incredible portrait of who Jesus actually is. So, it's, I mean, it's amazing, right? It's, it's incredible. And it's, that's why I tried to emphasize that we looked at one tiny little snapshot tonight in Luke 1. This is one little sliver of that overall portrait that the New Testament pr presents to us about who Jesus actually is. I enjoyed that, Shahe. Uh, just a word of support here for what you were saying earlier in that monologue. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> about the Jews' expectations of, of maybe more than one Messiah. I think John the Baptist is alluding to that when they said, uh, who are you? And he confessed and denied not, I am not the Christ. And they said, are you then Elijah? He said, I am not. And they said, are you the prophet? He said, no. A couple of things are interesting there. John is getting annoyed. His answers are getting sharper and shorter. Right. And they are making a distinction between the Christ, the son of God and the prophet yeah. at least. Yeah which harkens back to Deuteronomy 18, right? Deuteronomy 18, the prophet like Moses. Yeah, you know, that's one of the themes that really seems to be emphasized by Matthew, that part of the mission of Jesus, in addition to all the other things we've just talked about, suffering servant, son of man who sits on the throne next to God, king of the line of David, that Jesus has also come as an authoritative prophet who reveals a new law, who inaugurates a new covenant. That's why in Matthew, um, he's the only one of the four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians, concerning the Lord's Supper that adds at the end about the cup. This was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's New Covenant language from Jeremiah. So Matthew emphasizes that part uh, much more strongly than the others do, that Jesus has come, he's the prophet like Moses, he inaugurates a new covenant. This new covenant is for the whole world, which is how Matthew ends with his a great commission, and now all can come and be a part of this newly created family of God through Jesus. So yes, that was a great passage to help with that. Thank you, Alan. This is really brief. Enjoyed that. I'd like you to follow this up by taking that monologue and building off of it. <laughs> that, was, that was very, very helpful. So thank, thank you. you. Last, last year, you know, we, we talked in the, when I, I discussed Psalm 2 last year, and I, I made this statement, I think I didn't make it in my presentation, but came up in the Q&A about Son of God. That 
sometimes, especially in Mark, I think Son of God always means the Messiah, but I'm not sure about the centurion. This is this really interesting uh, way of putting it all together in Mark, where Mark begins the very first verse of his gospel by saying, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And then nobody understands that Jesus is the Son of God, except the demons, actually. The demons are the only ones. Peter gets, calls him the Messiah. That's close. Not full, not all of it. And it's not until the crucifixion when the centurion says, surely this was the Son of God. I'm not sure what the centurion meant by that, especially if he wasn't a Jew, which we would presume he was a, a Roman of some kind. So he makes that confession, and that fits in with Mark's theme, where people who should know better don't, and people you would expect not to understand Jesus understand him a lot better than people who should know better, which I love in Mark. You know, his family thinks he's nuts. The religious leaders think he's in league with Beelzebul. Uh, the disciples continually fumble, even at his most crucial hour when he's arrested in Gethsemane. So none of these people get it, but the demons and the Gentiles, they're the ones who seem to have a better understanding of who Jesus is. And Mark portrays that, I think, better than, than any of the others. So yes, there's just so much. Sean, that's the, that's the, you know, the, the difficulty here is that there's just so many of these themes and trails we could go down and um, we could probably dedicate a whole week one year to uh, who is Jesus. And none of what I have discussed tonight or last year has anything to do with John 1, the divine logos, and all that that entails about the nature of Jesus. So another time. That was awesome, uh, enjoyed it. My favorite part was how the shepherds heard the combination name, uh, Messiah Kurios, Messiah Lord. Yeah. And so, I, you know, who knows if they understood um, what, what the angels were saying to them, but basically they were being told, if I understand what you're saying from the Greek, they were being told that the Messiah is God or? Is the Lord. Yeah, is the Lord. And it's I, a tetragrammaton, right? I think that's yeah. what's implied. So they were the first ones maybe to, yeah. to learn that? So lowly so. shepherds, that was, that was awesome. Which is, uh, you know, oh, it's like that's quintessential Luke, right? The most lowly, the most uh, typically outcast, the most outside, the ones the Jews thought the least of are the ones who get to learn the coolest stuff about Jesus. Yeah, and I just like that image of uh, the angels being told what to tell the shepherds, and maybe God perhaps told them, make sure you tell them, link together the yeah. fact that Messiah is God. Messiah That's awesome. Lord. Thank you, Bart. Well, do you have any closing comments? No, thank you so much.